Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Alyssa Limpris to talk all about her comedy special, No Bad Days. And, you know, this this is a project that has been part of your life and part of your world for so many years. And even before you formulated it into, you know, a one-woman stand-up show, it was something where the initial genesis, you kind of went out and started talking about this subject and, and the loss of your dad as comedy material open mic nights. And I was so fascinated as to what that looked like and, and in a way how that helped you to start workshopping some of the initial genesis of this idea that became this this full stand-up special because it's such a unique tone and way that you're bringing people in through both comedy and emotional intimacy and in open mic nights obviously it's like you know you get five minutes you get seven minutes and you're trying to bring them fully into that world and and change the different tones and create a very special connection um and so what was that journey of, of kind of testing out some of the material and conceptualizing the first pieces of it at open mic nights in different spaces totally yes um as you can imagine, it was a very different experience because not only open mic nights, but lots of comedy shows in New York. Sometimes you don't even know you're getting a show. So you're going out to dinner and then a show happens to you. That happens a lot in New York. So I just remember very strongly that situation happening where it was a show that they didn't know it was a show. There were just people eating spaghetti and eating their dinner. And then I went on and for about five minutes, I just screamed about, as you can tell, I sort of scream in my stand-up and I'm screaming about losing my dad to a coma. And obviously everyone was like, oh no, this is, this is doubly what we don't want. And I remember riding home on the train that day and being like, okay, I clearly want to talk about this still, but I have to now couch it. I have to be, I have to manage the conversation a little bit better than just hopping on a comedy night for five minutes. And that's when I was like, I got to start building a show out where I talk about what happened so then I can earn the right to yell about it a little versus just, you know, yelling about it without people knowing any context of how much I love my dad or what just happened. It's, I think that became very clear to me that it was important that both things were, were known. Yeah. And it, it's a show that, you know, you've you've kind of been carrying this show for six years as well. So you've spent a huge amount of time with this material. How how close is the show that we see in the special that you taped to the versions that you were originally doing? Because I'm sure that over time there's things that have evolved and changed and shifted mm. and, and and beats that have kind of adjusted, even just night to night as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I um yeah, two parts. I would say one is like when I first when I first made this show it was very soon, which I talk about in the special, but it was very soon after losing my dad. Um, and so it was about losing my dad, the act of watching my dad die, I would say was what that first show was about and everything I learned from the way my dad so beautifully and gracefully and bravely handled his death. That's what that first show was about. And a lot of those same themes are still in this final show, but I hadn't lived without a dad yet. I hadn't grown up yet. I hadn't become an adult. I hadn't grieved. There was a whole lot of things that I had not done in that show. And then, so all of anything in this show that you see that almost relates to me and how I dealt with it or grew, that's the new stuff. So I like to think of it as like, it's the same, uh, that was a show almost about my dad. And then this was a show about um, learning to live without my dad. So a lot of the stuff is the same. A lot of the big pieces are still there. The name is still the same, but um, yeah, what changed is that I changed. And so I talked about how I changed. 
I also imagine those first few minutes must have, from the very first time you performed this material, have felt incredibly crucial because you're setting the intention yes. and you're setting the tone yeah. right out of the gate. There's yes. no, there's no sense of like lulling the audience with a different tone and a different no. projection. It's bringing everybody straight into that. Um, and so, what was what was that that process of just kind of figuring out the right way to to set up the intention of the show to tell the audience this is exactly the type of show that this is going to be and these are the different beats that that you're going to come on a journey with me i think it actually goes back to that open mic question you had earlier where i learned early on like they have to know i'm okay they have to know we're gonna laugh about this it has to be very clear right up the top because if i hesitate even slightly in the beginning then it's there i need to let them know in the first minute like this is gonna be dark and i'm gonna laugh about it and that's okay that we laugh and i'm okay you're gonna be okay i got your back let's do this and so i it was very important to me that that joke is I've always led with that first joke. That has not changed. Sometimes I change the the type of milk. <laughs> it started as almond and then oat became cool. And so I switched to, it, um, it switched to oat, but it has always started with that joke because I found it's very important to just right away be like, hey, whoa, okay, this is what we're doing. You're here. And yeah. I was also very struck by a lot of the the physicality of the show and the movement. You really utilize every corner of the stage and there's there's moments where there's specific choreography, you know, you're kind of like slowly jogging around as you're telling us a story at one point. Um, you know, there's dance that's choreographed, but there's also even just when you're regaling and kind of giving a monologue, you're still moving around that space quite a lot. And so what, how did you kind of determine what the physical element of the show was going to be where it's not just standing in front of a microphone, it's not standing in a singular space and where does it need specific choreography to align with what I'm telling people and where are the moments where it just kind of naturally flows within each evening of the show? Yeah. So I would say the big ones, the ones that you're mentioning where like you see a lot of choreography, those have been there for a while and those are particular to me about like th those always stay very similar from each show. For me, this show has always, movement is really important to me. I moved a lot with my dad. Um, I think watching my dad dot movement, physicality, it be, I took for granted my body and my ability to move a lot and watching this disease and how it struck my dad, um, it made me very aware of my body. So it was very important to me that in this show, my body was used and that I showed people the same type of, um, yeah, movement that I saw my dad sort of lose. And then that also that I'm still uh, dancing and playing that to me, that contrast was important. But then the, the, the little stuff in between changes uh, often at a show, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'm more moving, sometimes I'm less, but that stage was just so beautiful that once I saw it, I knew I need to move on this stage. And the Alan who did light, he was amazing. He was like, I gotta, I have a follow spot, I'll follow you. So go, go have fun. So I really, that allowed me to not have to necessarily hit specific marks for certain, like when I do certain, it was just helpful that I could just do kind of whatever I, whatever I wanted. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And and kind of speaking of the staging as well, I also wanted to talk about moments where you go even beyond the, sp the stage, you know, you come out into the audience and, and there is kind of audience involvement, audience interaction that is written into the show. Because again, that's one of those things that I'm sure that 
every single night for six years, those segments have have played completely differently depending on what you get. And, you know, especially filming a special and not knowing what response you're going to get. What was, did it feel different at all going into those segments and going into those moments when you're like, this is being recorded permanently. So if something kind of doesn't go the way I want it to, everybody's going to see it. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Um, It it was nerve wracking in that sense, but I have grown to love and trust my audience so much because I've done this show in so many different places and so many different types of venues that I just felt in my gut like that there I've done this enough times that I trust that no matter what the answer is we're going to get we're going to get a dad who's willing to answer these questions and be endearing we're going to get someone in the audience who's willing to go along with having my dad there with them um and that's always been crucial for me too the audience interaction because I think for a while the show starts with like this is my thing and then for me that audience moment is when it's like now we're all in this now you're coming on board with me and this is about us and we're in it together and so I felt it was really important that I did that in the special too even if the day of it was a little scary because I was like I hope I hope we get people that, that but we had two times to tape it so I knew if we don't get something we'll get it but yeah we got everything even on the first one we knew okay we're all set which was great yeah I love what you're saying there about really wanting the audience to feel like you're all in something together and it's not just you telling a story because there's that really beautiful moment where you kind of gradually have people raise their hand if they feel comfortable sharing, if they have lost a parent, a sibling, a friend, somebody that they loved. And, you know, that's something that everyone has experienced. And so ultimately that really bonds the audience, not only with you, but with every single other person in the room as well. Was that always part of the show from the beginning or where did you realize the power of being able to connect the audience with one another through a moment like that? Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the show. That That's from the second rendition. So that's from this newer, um, I would say, yeah, the second version of the show. Because um, I've been doing it for six years, but I sort of did a version of it for, I want to say two and a half years. And then my life changed. I moved. I paused it for a bit. And then I went back to it. So there was a little break in between. And I think in that in between, I just realized how almost everyone, if you get at a party and you're talking to someone and it comes up, almost always their response is someone else they've lost. And then you connect on a really deeper spiritual level. And I just found that while there's so many people, you feel really alone when you're grieving or going through something, you're losing someone. And throughout those years in between, I found, oh, this is such a universal experience. So many people are in pain and so many people can relate to this, uh, whether or not it's a dad or whether or not it's even death. Um, So I wanted to make sure that that was part of the show. And once that became part of the show, I remember just feeling like, okay, I'm I'm glad I took the time off from this because this was this was needed. This is a necessary part of this show. Yeah. Yeah. Did that did that play a part in at the end of the special kind of going into the credits? Um, there's there's audience members who are holding up signs with names or people that they've lost. And um, was that kind of part of where that idea came from yeah. or where did that stem from? Definitely. That stemmed from basically kind of my favorite part of the show is after the show, getting to chat with people after our show. And no matter what city I'm in, I just sort of stand and inevitably someone will come chat with me about someone they've lost. And that's, I always go home feeling really like, okay, we, we've got to connect about people that we've lost. And so I wanted to make sure that uh, I had that in this show and I knew I wasn't going to be able to go out in between. I knew I was going to be prepping for the next show. And I wanted the people at home to kind of have that experience too of like, Oh, uh, you saw people's hands go up, but also you're seeing Alyssa dealt with this, but so did so many different people from so many different walks of life and ages. And 
there's that one gentleman who breaks me every time who said like, um, like I lost him. He was taken from me way too soon. And, you know, he's a fairly older gentleman. And so in my head, I'm like, he probably lost his dad decades ago. And still he was compelled to come to this booth and, and talk about his dad. And just the feeling of like, if you're still grieving and it's been 20 years, that's okay. Or it's totally normal and natural. And um, the people that we lose are just always you know, with us. And I, so I, I, I was really grateful. But that was another thing where I, I remember calling Lance and being like, I had a crazy idea. I don't know if we have the time or can do this. And he just very calmly was like, we can do that. We can make that happen. Yeah. That's really special. And you were, you were talking before about that trust that you have in the audience, you know, when it, when it comes to the way that they respond and the way that you yeah. interact with them, but also for your relationship with yourself as a, as a comedian, as a storyteller, as someone who's sharing all of this with an audience as well. Do you feel like you, at the end of the run of this show that you have a different sense of just trust in yourself as a performer as well? Because it's something where you know that you have the ability, no matter what emotional flow the night takes for you, because I'm sure that it's gone on a lot of different trajectories over over the years that, you know, you still have that ability to go out there, create that connection to ride whatever, whatever waves come your way. Yeah, definitely. I think that I had taken a break from stand up too in the pandemic as many had. And, um, it was a really, it was a good reminder of, yeah. Oh yeah. I feel stand up is, yeah, you gotta be a little tough. It makes you a little strong. And I remember May and I, we, the first stop we went on, my agent didn't even know, but he booked me in Bloomington, Indiana at IU, like, which is where IU is, which is my dad's alma mater. And um, yeah, we were both just walking the day after. And I remember feeling like I'm really grateful for stand up and for this show, because yeah, it, it does make me feel, it does make me feel as a performer, just like, okay, yeah, you can, yeah, you, you, you yeah. But, but I, but I do think like, it's a mutual thing because I think I, uh, the audience comes I couldn't do it without the audience either. I don't know. It's, it is a thing of like, it's a dance because I'm being vulnerable, but they have to be open to me being vulnerable. And I feel, yeah, grateful whenever that combo happens. Yeah. Do you find that, that some nights there's different moments where you kind of feel that moment where it really clicks in for the audience and sometimes it's very early on and sometimes it's a little bit further into the show based on where you're performing, who's in the room, what that connection is on the night? A hundred percent. Totally. Totally. You know, sometimes I am in a situation, I was on the road in a situation where I was like at city winery in New York. Everyone knew what the show was about. It was like such a, it was just wonderful. I felt immediately like, okay, we're in it from the jump. We're all with each other. I don't like, I, and then sometimes I'm doing a show at a comedy club at 11 PM on a Thursday night and people are there or Friday and they're drinking. And I think, I don't know if I ever get them, but then I still get someone afterwards who talks to me. And then there's something in between where it's like, okay, I don't think I have them in the beginning, but once I'm running, people are kind of, they're, they're on board. And um, yeah, it, it changes all the time, but I've always, always, always with this show felt like I'm not here to do anything, but talk about my experience and share this time uh, with my dad and with this. So I, I remember getting hard on myself about certain sets, like before I was doing this type of material or if something, oh, that didn't, it like my set worked or it didn't work. I, I got them or I didn't. And like this show, there was always a calm feeling of like, I don't, I don't, not I don't care, but I don't need it as much because I'm just going out there and sharing this story. And if you want to come on board, wonderful. And if you don't, that's okay. Uh, yeah. There's also the element in the delivery of the show where obviously there's the dialogue and everything that you're saying, but there's also moments of silence that are just as powerful as what you're saying in, in the, you know, essentially like the monologue of the show as well. 
do those moments kind of tend to stay the same or is that something where you're often feeling out that that rhythm what the audience is connecting to kind of where it's going to add either an emotional levity or kind of an added element to a joke that you've just delivered each night um I'm pretty, yeah, no, I'm pretty particular about like when it's supposed to be serious. I like it being serious unless there's like a baked in joke I'm leading towards. But generally speaking, like that monologue always, or the running bit, there was, those always served as like, these are serious moments. Um, but the serious, like the point that I landed on changed all the time. It was, that was changing constantly. The conclusion of the show was that's what I was, I remember a friend saying like, what's this second show going to be about? And I was like, we're going to find out, like, I'm going to find out how I feel about this um, on the road and the road slowly, but surely I kept figuring out how I felt. And that message would change. If you saw a show from like December, January, February, March, you would see pretty much a different conclusion every time. But that final one I landed on and I stayed with for probably like maybe five or six shows. And I was like, this is, this is it. It, it stopped changing. And that's when I knew this is it. Yeah. But if I kept doing the show for another year, I'm sure that conclusion would change. And that's why I love this show. It's sort of a living, breathing thing. Yeah. There's there's also a moment of levity where you're going through the the five different stages of depression. Yes. Uh, you know, it kind of starts with these are the stages of grief and then just specifically hones in on that. Um, is that something, again, where like the details and the stages have always stayed the same? Or have you ever kind of played around with some of the elements and aspects of that? Totally. Yeah. No, a lot of that changes all the time that's the beauty of the road too is like trying out which picture works best which which word works best but um yeah that 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 started maybe like even that for example started as just stages of grief but i would do the stage like the stages of grief as different things and i remember chatting with my good friend emily murnane who's really funny and she was like these all feel depressing and i was like they are, that's it. And so then it went to stages of depression and then I put them all there. So it's always kind of a, an evolving, like you have the genesis of an idea, but then the road is wonderful because it's like a live feedback loop. You're And if you're doing a weekend, you sometimes have like four or six shows. So you can really be like, I'm gonna try something different every time. And then by the end, you know which one works. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to ask about the inclusion of the, there's a Zumba dance moment in the show. And I think it's also, it comes later in the show and it's such a testament to where you've taken the audience, particularly in that myriad of tones and emotions by then, um, because you're able to go from a, an incredibly poignant moment to Zumba dancing on stage within a matter of seconds. And the audience comes with it instantly at that point, because they know kind of like where this journey is going and they're very comfortable going along with it. Um, and so I was interested in, in how that came into the show and especially just those first few performances where you were including it really feeling the audience come with you to that degree that quickly at that point yeah so that's another one so the running and the zumba have been there from the the initial joke running and zumba have been there from day one and zumba is so important to me because I think it really is the ethos of the show. It's like what my what I talk about my dad believing in is what Zumba represents to me at the end of this show, which is this is a hard show. This is a hard topic. This is a dark topic. Something bad happened. Uh, there was pain here that we've all shared. You've all experienced pain, but also we're not gonna let that stop us from dancing together at the end of this show. Um, so for me, it's always been just this wonderful moment of like, you guys have been on this ride with me and you've been like, vulnerable and now I'm like let's let's dance let's laugh a little bit um and yeah I I 
usually when that that's my favorite part of the show on the road because it's never really expected and i usually try to get people to to scream the lyrics at me and to just have people who i've never met screaming lyrics while i'm in a two-piece twerking it's just very it's always just been a very fun release at the end of the show and it kind of lets everyone just relax and um yeah wind down at the end of this and you were you were touching upon earlier obviously stand-up comedy was something that you know in terms of a live concept fully shut down for a really long time at the beginning of the pandemic and i think one of one of the things that's so great is that you were already in that space of creating content online and connecting with audiences in that way as well and so how do you feel that having that direct connectivity because you're creating it you're editing it you're putting it out yourself in that way and kind of like really seeing what people are responding to online and then stand-up comedy where you're in the room where you have that same environment where those two spaces of creating and storytelling have really informed one another for you yes well it's interesting because when my dad was sick i moved home obviously to the suburbs and i didn't have live comedy and i i didn't have a way to create so that's where a lot of my like posting online and creating jokes and and making videos with friends like a lot of that started in that year um so i felt kind of a similar thing when this when the pandemic first happened where it's like i know how this works to be trapped somewhere and still create for me creating is very much necessary and it feels so having a way to do it uh, no matter whether it's live or online is it's just a way to get out whatever i'm feeling or to create or have fun so I was grateful to have the internet and to be able to make videos, but man, when I got to be back on the road and be in person with people, it just felt all that I was never, I never took it for granted. I was so grateful to be out there because I knew what it felt like to be cut off from that and to be, because at the end of the day, being alone in your apartment creating is just not nearly as fun as being out there with people, with an audience, reacting, doing it together, crowd work, have, like that. that's what it's about because then you're really sharing it. Whereas online is great, but you, you're not, you know, you're not exactly sharing the experience quite as much. I also appreciate the fact that the editing is something that you've talked about not being something that comes naturally to you and being very outside of your comfort zone. But when you were working at Condé Nast, a, a couple of your colleagues, instead of doing it for you, for what you needed in that role, were just like, no, we're going to teach you. Um, and do you find that there, there's kind of skill sets that you've picked up in different jobs that you've had along the way supporting yourself when you were first building your comedy career that, that really come into play like that in terms of the skill set that you've developed over the years that helps you with your storytelling as a comedian? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm so grateful. Yeah, Andrew Darty and Emily Renane, who I chatted about, they were the two. And we still work together all the time, but I'm so grateful for them because, yeah, editing fully changed my life, being able to edit. And even within this edit, uh, working with Grace Klein, who was unbelievable, but it was really nice to have editing experience to know like things that were possible to do. Like, oh, I think if we do like versus if it, that had been my first experience ever editing, that might have been overwhelming. Again, I didn't edit, but I got to sit on Zoom and it was very helpful to be like, okay, I know I um, I know how this works. But yeah, even this job, I learned a ton about how to put on a stage production. That was something I'd never, uh, totally outside of my comfort zone. And much like having Andrew and Emily, I feel I had just such an incredible team that I everything was so new and so could have been so overwhelming, but because I had a team that was so strong and experienced, I had a full all-female EP team and everyone who had made so many specials before that I felt in really good hands. So I got to learn around really strong people. 
And because the recording of the special was was the last time that you were essentially recording this show and performing it after so many years of of living with and connecting to this material, what were some of the the unique aspects that you felt in delivering that same material, but knowing that that was the last time that you were standing on stage in front of an audience doing it? Yeah, I can't really even describe it. I I was extremely emotional. I was I was extremely emotional floored I would say with gratitude and with just a feeling of real acceptance of the loss I think when I was younger at the funeral I didn't cry my mom was really upset and I was sort of I I wrote the obituary and I was there for my mom it was just a very different role I had at that time in my life and this felt like a second funeral in a way for me but uh one where I was now on the other side and I knew I had this life that I loved and felt good about to go back to that I was almost able to breakdown, but I, I, I cried a lot. I, I called, I called old friends and family members who really helped me at that time. I called my track coach. Just, I really felt floored with like, wow, I'm so grateful for everyone who helped me at that time in my life. I'm so grateful for my dad and I'm ready to, to let him go. But it was a very emotional experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what you've managed to create in terms of not just the the story that you're telling on stage, but also in that connectivity and what you've done for audiences is something really, really unique and special. So congratulations on everything with so it. Much. I'm so glad pe- that there's going to be a permanent way that the show lives on with it being recorded. And thank you so much, Alyssa. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it. it. Thank you so much for having me.